Queer Relationships, an IM clinic podcast devoted to helping you, the LGBTQ plus community, create the love lives and relationships you crave. That's what I'd like to say, is there's one thing that covers everything, and that's love. Love can mend any relationship. You know, Isaac, I have always, always loved you. I can truly say in my heart that I have loved you since the day you were born, up till today. Hello. I'm Isaac, and today we want to celebrate Father's Day during this Pride season by sharing with you a conversation I had with my dad. Our conversation centers on the dynamic we had as a religious father raising me, a queer son. With all of our bruises and successes peppering today's story, my dad shares not only his perspective and insecurities as a father who wanted to do the best, but also his inspiration for fathers with queer children. I hope you enjoy. Let's take a listen. Let's just start from the beginning. What was it like to find out I was a little boy? Wow. The very beginning. <laughs> that's, that's the very beginning. Um, it was amazing. Both of you and Nicole immediately uh, coming from the womb. It was like almost a miracle, um, something that you don't, um, I don't know, it's hard to explain just watching that and, and coming out and then, well, we knew you were um, a boy before you were born. And so we were excited about that. Mm. First of all, to have a son. Um, second of all, to have a daughter and a son um, with Nicole and you, um, which was absolutely amazing. We got one, one of each. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was just a beautiful time, happy time. Um, and from then on, uh, it was just uh, awesome uh, to bring you home. Uh, to change your diapers, to uh, uh, play with you, to um, see you grow up and, and laugh, your first steps, your first uh, laughter, first words uh, were just absolutely incredible um, how um, my view of life was not... Um, I, I just thought, kind of thought that I'd never be in that position uh, ever. Um, I don't know why, I guess, uh, my upbringing or whatever. But it was an incredible time uh, when you were born. Your, the color of your hair, uh, the weight and the, the, uh, the size of such a little tiny thing. And uh, the idea and the prospect of uh, bringing you home uh, was just uh, um, awesome. Then the idea of uh, showing you off uh, to family and friends, the visitors that would come uh, to the house just to see uh, that you were there, you had finally arrived. Um, Just totally uh, taken, not by surprise, but by... Um, I, I don't know what word to choose. Uh, 
awe, I guess, would be a word uh, that we could even bring uh, uh, our second baby into the world. That sounds very special. It was. Yeah. It was very special. Mm-hmm. What were some of the um, maybe aspects of my personality that were surprising as you watched me grow? Um, nothing surprising. Um, um, up until about the kindergarten age, um, that you were, we, we used to do a lot of things together, uh, up until that time and after that time, um, and they were special. Um, as you know, we, uh, uh, built that, uh, house up, uh, the, uh, your hideout, um, and we did a lot of things together. I remember uh, in the college, um, before seatbelts were totally required that uh, you would stand uh, behind my back as we were driving. You were uh, upright, and you were holding on to me as uh, we drove together. I remember the camping trip that we had in the back of the truck by that little stream and all four of us crowded up uh, in that little uh, bed um, and we had fun. Uh, I remember the walks we used to take in college uh, as a family and um, the the times you would um, go off and experiment, uh, you know, trying to catch a butterfly or or picking a dandelion, or um, just uh, uh, walking around with a stick dragging behind you and making a line. Um, so there was really uh, uh, just normal. Everything was normal. Uh, and so when we get to the kindergarten, there were bullies uh, that would pick on you. And so, um, I remember that uh, you used to come home crying and I told you, uh, well, the next time that bully does that to you, just double up your fist um, and sock him in the stomach as hard as you can. And it seems after that, they, everything uh, was good to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, your school uh, days were pretty much normal, nothing out of the ordinary. Um, You were a little timid um, and uh, sometimes afraid of things that you weren't certain of. Uh, And uh, you were a funny kid. Uh, (laughs) You used to get the, we we bought you a trumpet. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, I remember. <laughs> to blow it and pretend you were an elephant. Uh-huh. Uh, remember the numerous videos mm-hmm. uh, that you recorded and uh, just singing and uh, happy with your cousins, getting together with family. So really nothing was uh, um, different from any other kid, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like um, anxiety was a big part 
of school for me, at least like elementary and middle school for sure. Um, yeah, I feel like there was maybe a time when things were maybe normal and then a time when it felt like they weren't normal anymore kind of strayed <laughs> I would say I don't know what do you think maybe around high school and college when did you feel like things weren't really normal anymore um yeah I guess high school although you were involved in a lot of activities mm -hmm. uh, the uh, plays at school um uh I remember you came from uh, school And you uh, said, Dad, I want to try out for the lead role in the play, but I know I won't get it because I'm just a freshman, and those usually go to the seniors. And I told you, well, you won't get it unless you apply for it. And the next day you came and, and uh, you said you got the lead role. Um, you had um, a lot of ambition. Um, uh, yeah, there was a lot of tension, anxiety, but maybe I dismissed it as part of uh, adolescence and just growing up. It was a tense time uh, there where we lived, a tense time in the schools. Um, and so um, you and your sister would uh, come and, and uh, share things that would happen at school. And it was very tense at times uh, with uh, the uh, peers at school. And so we, at least I dismissed it as uh, maybe um, every teenager goes through that with uh, uh, the peers at school. They have a lot of influence on people. And uh, if you're not liked, uh, then they seem to pick on you. But I didn't see much of that myself. Um, I guess the thing that I did see was uh, the hesitation uh, to get involved in sports, to get involved in extracurricular activity, uh, especially sports. Although uh, you and I spent a lot of time in the car going back and forth uh, to the sports events that you did participate in and Every time we would uh, uh, go to the sports event or practice, we'd stop and get an ice cream or a hot dog, uh, you know. Uh, and I did notice some hesitancy uh, to return back to the sports. Um, uh, and so um, I just thought, you know, well, he's not interested in sports. Uh, But overall, you were doing well in, in other things, your grades, the achievements. Um, when you were in high school, um, uh, I had a rule, uh, and I kind of broke it with Nicole, but I said, as long as you're in school, you won't uh, have a car uh, unless you work for it. And uh, you said, well, Dad, I, I want a car. And I said, well, there's a lot of responsibility because uh, there's insurance, there's the payment uh, and things like that. And you assured me that your grades would not 
going to go down. So we went uh, and bought that car. Well, you did anyway. It was your car. Um, and we had a lot of good times in that little, uh, or was it a tracker? Or, uh, a Suzuki Samurai. <laughs> Samurai. Samurai. Mm -hmm. yeah. Cool stuff. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, last year, I think it was, or two years ago, I found your license plates that mm -hmm. uh, were in the shed. And so we made a plaque for you and gave them to you for Christmas mm -hmm. that said oh. Buckster. Mm -hmm. I love those plates. <laughs> yeah. So other than that, it was, we, we did live in a pretty rough neighborhood. Um, and uh, there were things happening around the neighborhood. But as, as teenagers, you and Nicole did things that normal teenagers do that. Uh, I probably don't know uh, half of the, the stuff that you guys did, but when we get together for Christmas or things, you start to reveal some of the mischief. Mm -hmm. got <laughs> some of our like, secrets. Like trashing out my car. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was um, one day when I um, had just broken up with my high school sweetheart. And um, I was really, really kind of not in a good place. I was kind of anxious. And I remember you and mom were watching TV on the bed. And I came in and said, I just broke up with her. And I was kind of panicking and uh, mom said, well, why are you scared? Is it because you think you're gay? And I, up until that point, wondered if I was doing a good job of hiding it or not. <laughs> and I think that was the moment where I realized that maybe both of you had known something might be different. What was that like for you? Well, um, we, you know, as parents, you notice things about your kids um, that are hard to understand, um, like fears, um, uh, like anxieties, things like that, and wondering why, and there's, there's never an answer um, to those questions. So you think about it and say, well, that's just their nature and their character. That's the way they are. And I try to be fair about that, not to push and not to pull, um, but to allow um, your character to develop. Uh, I, I know some parents push their kids into sports and, and they want to make them the heroes and, and, uh, push them into a job they don't want to be in. I, I don't think I did that. I think I let uh, your character be who you wanted to be in, you secure in that. But I did notice, uh, well, first of all, teenage years are, um, adolescence is a tough time uh, regardless. Uh, and the whole idea of boyfriend and girlfriend you, as parents and as being a teenager, uh, 
myself at one point a long, long, long time ago, um, you go through the, the whole emotion of breakups and, and uh, makeups with, you know, your peers at school, which is not too terribly abnormal. So you just think as a parent, well, you know, maybe he got his heart broken um, and he's reacting maybe just a little bit too much um, because of that. Um, and so you don't know how to gauge that or put it into perspective uh, because adolescence is uh, just a time uh, of experimenting, um, of uh, finding your personal identity, or at least the, the greatest search. Uh, adolescence is part of being caught up in a, uh, a little boy's body with uh, the mind um, and the thought process developing into an adult. So there's the squeaky voice, the broken uh, words. Um, and so you think about those things while he's just going through uh, puberty. He's going through uh, some of the big issues. There's a big um, pendulum um, in schools for kids. And sometimes the... Um, the teenager, the adolescent, takes that pendulum to the left-hand side or to the right-hand side, and they leave it there, and they react to their surroundings in that way because they're either confused or they're afraid of um, what might happen if the pendulum goes to the other side because they're uncomfortable with that. And so that was another um situation that I thought, well, maybe that's just Isaac. That's just who he is. And um, again, I try to not be the type of dad that was going to push uh, into making someone something they didn't want to be. Um, Mom and I were uh, strict, as you know. Um, and we both uh, handed out the discipline. A lot of times um, in school or in the adolescent years, you don't say the truth to your parents because um, they're very strict and, and you don't want to disappoint them or uh, you just don't want to bother with that. The other thing is our religious values. Um, in those days, uh, as being a pastor of a church, uh, maybe some of that, um, some of those things that you had within you that you didn't want to divulge because of uh, some type of fear of retaliation or um, even uh, rejection. And so uh, really trying to figure it all out now is still mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think there was, I like the pendulum idea, because I don't think I got stuck in one position of fear. And it was definitely, obviously, now looking back, irrational, but 
I spent many years wondering if I were to tell mom and you that I, I seriously thought I would be homeless. Um, and so I spent a lot of my life thinking I have to not only keep it a secret, but I also have to be a good at pretending because otherwise I might find myself without a home. And that was obviously really scary. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I never thought about that aspect. We probably would have never um, taken that course of action, which I don't think we did. Uh, you were valuable to us all the time, regardless. Um, all of us, every single one of us is broken in some way or another. Uh, this world has a way of breaking us down. Um, and so we fear the things that we cannot control. We fear the things that uh, um, are going to make us um, ashamed of who we are or what we are. Um, obviously, in, in my situation, I came from that type of a, a background where uh, my value, at least toward myself, was very little. Um, and uh, the situations that surrounded me within the inner city with uh, um, alcoholism in the home, dysfunctional, uh, dysfunction in the home. Uh, obviously those played a lot, a big role in my uh, raising you and your sister. I didn't learn skills um, for life. I, I had to um, learn them by trial and error, so to speak. Um, watching others, um, mentors that uh, mentored me. Um, I had a bleak outlook on, on uh, life in general. Now that I look back, it, it was worse than I actually thought. And today I think about things that I reacted to and, and uh, react to today are part of that uh, upbringing and uh, I think about it and I say well maybe you shouldn't uh, you shouldn't be thinking that way because there were things out of your control but then again I was on the pendulum myself um, and keeping it over to one side uh, so that I, I would avoid um the situations I became uncomfortable with. Do you feel like in that place where you were kind of uh, developing the skills as you went, the trial and error kind of thing, do you feel like it was scary to think that I might come out someday? Was that hard at the beginning? Uh, definitely. Uh, you, you don't want to hear things like that. Um, when you think about that, you think of something abnormal, uh, something uh, not natural. Um, and to me, I never, it, it never um, 
dwelt with me. It never dawned on me as as far as your question goes uh, to think about things in, in that way. It was just um, you take for granted that everything is normal in this life, but there's a lot of abnormal. Uh, there's a lot of things that uh, pain and suffering and, and uh, uh, circumstances, situations, emergencies that you don't foresee. And so you have to wait to the very minute to uh, face the music, so to speak. You have to just come across that situation. You hope and you pray that uh, it, it's not that way. Maybe in the back of your mind, you're thinking it is, but you're praying that it isn't. And so um, it wasn't as scary to think about that, but it was uncertain. But I look back and I remember the times with you and I um, when I would come home from work and you and Nicole were the greatest things that ever happened in my life. I learned a lot uh, because of you too, by trial and error. But I always, um, in my own mind anyway, stayed at home, um, stayed with you and, and uh, your sister and your mom. Um, those things were valuable to me. Those things were um, such an awesome thing. that, And the reason why is because uh, in the way I valued myself, I never thought I could sustain those things. I had them. But how was I going to sustain those? How was I going to keep uh, uh, my children happy? I, I know we went into the ministry, and the ministry was very difficult and demanding. Uh, but you guys were always with us. You were um, always under our care. We were careful that we didn't send you, send you off. Uh, for a sleepover, if we weren't comfortable with that, we always had your friends at our house. Uh, we, I, I thought I built a, a safe shelter uh, for the both of you within our, our home. And so I was satisfied with that, never thinking that, well, what's the worst that can happen here? So my concentration was a lot on uh, providing for the family uh, and being there for the family. Mm -hmm. Happy Pride! As many of you know, we want to stress your resilience as we move through Pride Month. I hope today's episode might inspire you to focus on your relational resilience. I want to remind all of you that relational hardships can be a force to be reckoned with, but so are we. During this Pride season, I hope, and I mean sincerely hope, that you take time to recognize your relational power, your inherent value, your genuine nature, and your ability to create the love lives and relationships you truly crave, even with your parents or chosen family. I hope you take care of yourselves from the inside out 
as you celebrate who you are. Happy Pride. Now let's get back to the show. As we grew older and I went off to college, obviously that was a very bumpy ride. Um, living in different places, drinking a lot. Um, what was that like for you? I felt like, to your point, we had come from this really protected, safe bubble. And then it felt like I left and all of that just kind of, um, I, I have many thoughts, like the world was just too big. Um, I was so lost, I was so hurt, but what was that like from your perspective? That was probably um, a tumultuous time for me, um, spending all that time inputting into your lives, um, taking care of you, providing for you, um, and then letting you go and finding out things that were happening in your life that absolutely scared me. Um, uh, and the other thought is, well, um, I never taught them how to drink. I never taught them how to lie. I never taught them uh, how to do the things that they're doing now. Um, and so how do you turn loose? How do you let them, let your kids uh, do what they have to do? How far do you tighten the reins? Um, what advice is there to give them uh, when perhaps they're not going to listen anymore? Um, and uh, it's devastating for a parent uh, when they're children leave the home um, and you know there's nothing that you can do about it um, and so that was a very tough time uh, the same way with uh, your sister going to college and, and uh, coming back and, and uh, sharing with us some of the, the things she was doing I said wow you know, uh, I guess they're on their own. Uh, there's really not much um, I can do but love them through that whole situation. And sometimes I felt maybe love is not enough, but it certainly is a good start. It's a great start, yeah. Mm -hmm. There was... Um many moments where um, I'm thinking of one in particular when I had, um, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, well, maybe you're hearing the story for the first time, but it was my whole relationship uh, with the first guy that I dated. And it was when I was in grad school and we ended things and I went to South Carolina with a friend from grad school and I came home. And again, my anxiety was through the roof. And I think that was one of the first, well, it was definitely, it was the second time that I had thought about suicide, but it was the first time where the anxiety and the, the despair was so thick that I was actually afraid. I thought 
if I don't talk about this with someone, I will harm myself. And I remember again, you and mom were laying in bed and I crawled in between the two of you and I was bawling. And I kind of mentioned, if I'm alone, I'm going to hurt myself. What was that like for you? Uh, that was pretty difficult because on the one hand, you you were a very, very... Uh, I'm not sure... I don't want to say perceptive, but you were very intelligent, I guess. Um, you were an adult at that point. And um, you were in grad school. You were attaining some dreams. And I thought, wow, um, you know, we have a son here who's very intelligent, uh, very capable, uh, and yet he's here, you know, demonstrating this behavior to us that I really didn't understand. Uh, and then because of the, the issues I had gone through in my life, well, I had never had a conversation with my father, period, about anything. Um, I was never taught skills that a young man should be taught. Um, again, going through that trial and error, making mistakes on my own, I didn't want to do that with my family. And so I was very careful to do that. But at the same time, not having skills to address those kinds of issues because of my own lack of uh, self-esteem, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, made it really hard to deal with that situation. Very hard. Mm -hmm. uh, your mother has always been uh, of the... Um, Your mother was always on top of things, and, and uh, she always noticed things. Uh, she would take care of things on the spot. Um, and sometimes those things that I couldn't take care of would cause me to cringe and kind of back away uh, and maybe let her handle that. Uh, you were very close to your mother. Um, and those were some of the things that um, maybe didn't allow me to um, be that personal in that situation. So it was a scary, scary, scary time. And what did I have in my bag? of tools, I found myself empty of that. Yeah. Scared and powerless. Yes, yeah. precisely. Mm -hmm. What about the 
following couple of months or years, I mean, those were, we had a lot of heated conversations and (laughs) debates and um, how was it watching you, or sorry, how was it for you watching me kind of make some of those decisions to come out as a seminarian? Was that like? For me, when we took you to Northwest, um, it was a Christian college. Um, when you did youth ministry, um, when you did uh, the seminary, I thought it things are going to be okay. I mean, he's digesting. He's, he's um, moving in the right direction. The heated conversations we had was because I didn't understand. I thought everything was on um, a good level. Sure, there were issues, but who doesn't have issues? Um, The very specific uh, conversation that we had after you revealed to us uh, your choice when we went to the restaurant, um, there was a f- couple of things that maybe you should know. Um, when I darted out of that place, um, first of all, the, the music was way, way up. And I couldn't hear you or your mom. Um, and All I could see was your emotional uh, status, but I couldn't really hear what anybody was saying. Um, And I just said, well, I I need to leave this place because if not, I'm going to blow up, um, which I probably did, Um, you know. Um, And so I just needed to be by myself at that point in time because of the fact that I thought um, everything was going to be okay. My son graduated from seminary. He was a youth leader. Uh, he went to a Christian college, albeit that that Christian college, uh, you were disappointed in your peers and what they were doing. And I dismissed it as uh, something that well, he doesn't want to be there because there's a level of hypocrisy there. And I guess all those times I was hoping um, that it wasn't so. Um, And so it caused me to react that way. Um, And what was I going to do? How was I going to treat the situation? Um, What options did I have at that point, which were not many options, except uh, to return to love uh, and support the best way I knew how to do that, which probably was inadequate, uh, taken uh, the... um, lack of skills, uh, 
that, that I had uh, as a father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember uh, coming out in some ways twice. When I was 22 at CU and then when I was 26 at seminary. And the first time I remember using very strategic language <laughs> because one, I didn't know, <laughs> I didn't really know what I needed to say. I didn't know what was happening in my body. I just knew it wasn't completely straight. And I think the kind of the religious language at the time was I am wrestling with same sex attractions. And after I told you and mom that I went and um, did conversion therapy for a little while. But do you feel like maybe that language and doing conversion therapy kind of inspired some of that hope? Uh, We all use language uh, strategically. Uh, We all try to test the waters. How are they going to react? What are they going to do? Uh, and so understanding that, um, I kind of sank, uh, deeper into a a despair, I guess, that, um, as a father, I don't know how many, you know, mothers or fathers feel, uh, when their child grows up and they're not exactly what we desire them to be. Um, When we have the indifferences, um, you know, it's it's pretty scary. Uh, It brings you to think, well, I'm a failure. Uh, I just failed at this whole business of uh, fatherhood. Mm -hmm. Um, And I always prided myself in that in the security that I gave you in um, always being there. Uh, uh, when there was a play downtown, uh, you and I would go catch a bus, uh, stop for lunch, um, and, you know, make a day of it. I always prided myself in that, but uh, I always wonder where, where did you lose it? What happened? Uh, Did you just stop trying? Did you go about it the wrong way? You ask yourself all those questions, you know? You ask yourself, uh, uh, did you not try hard enough? Did you give up? Um, Sometimes I felt that maybe I let your mom um, just kind of take over because she knew a lot more information than I did. Uh, And uh, you and her were pretty tight and close. So uh, I would bounce things off of her and if something she said I thought was right, then I'd go through that. There were a lot of things that I thought she said that we're not right, but uh, uh, let bygones be bygones. Let's just go with it. Mm-hmm. 
And so, uh, I don't know if I'm going uh, around in circles here, but uh, as far as your question, it was pretty scary at the revelation mm-hmm. and the prospect of uh, what was about to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you don't mind me asking, and we can edit anything out, but what do you feel like the despair was about? Your despair or my despair? Your despair. Again, the, the whole idea of fatherhood. Um, I wanted so much to be a good dad. Um, um, so much to be a role model, and yet I didn't have a role model growing up. I was on my own um, at a very young age. I would go and come as I pleased, and I didn't have... Um, no boundaries, I guess. Um, I I was a good kid in some respects, but a devil in other respects. Um, and I guess I was just uh, maybe playing the role mm-hmm. um, to make everybody seem that I was good so that I could do whatever I wanted to do. Not having any restraints, not having those... Um, borders around me and parameters to keep me and, and feeling that, Hey, I can do whatever I want to. Nobody cares anyway. So that's my fear. That, that, that was my fear that I had become insufficient, mm. that I had become um, unable to really impact when it really came down to the wire that I had said all I had said and it wasn't sufficient. I had done all that I could do and it wasn't sufficient. So that was the despair. Yeah. If you could go back knowing that this is a Father's Day episode and if there's a dad out there listening um, who is suspecting that his child might come out or is suspecting or maybe his child just did come out, what would you recommend for him? What would be your advice? Well, one great idea that we kind of touched on is um, don't blame yourself. You know, um, Maybe you did all the things the best way you knew how. Um, And so don't blame yourself, at least to the point where if there's some deficiency in your parenting skills, it's going to come out anyway, and it's going to show. The second thing I would say is love your son or your daughter. You know, um as a kid i did some things in my life because i didn't know better or i was afraid or i was just plain naive uh and when i was 7 
the Lord spoke to my heart after a bully had uh, beat me up and he left me uh, snorting the dust in an empty field. And I remember I lifted my head and I called out to God and I says, what is this all about? Why do I have to go through this? And he told me in my heart, you're going to be greater than you, than you are. I, d- I didn't know what that was at the age of seven, but I do remember that. And um, the big idea in this is he pursued me. He pursued me relentlessly because to me, I was a weirdo. I was someone who had no direction, um, very little discipline, um, a lot of freedom with no parameters, um, uh, one of nine kids. Um, at one point, I became like the father figure because uh, um, I, had, I was the oldest son, so... I was put in charge of things that I didn't want to be in charge of. I was put in in a place where I didn't want to be. I just wanted to be a kid. Um, And so I ran away uh, from my home and went into the Marine Corps. And I thought, well, they build men. I think I'll become one. But that wasn't what I was looking for. There was an empty space in my heart. Um, All those times of, Isaac, I know what you're going through, what you went through at your worst. Uh, Crying alone in in my bed uh, as an adult and saying, you know, what is life? What What is this? And through all of that, he pursued me relentlessly. Um, and that's what I'd like to say is there's one thing that covers everything and that's love. Love forgives a multitude of sin. Um, loves bring back the lost. Love can mend any relationship. Um, and so that's my second point. You know, Isaac, I have always, always loved you. As my son, as maybe uh, the evidence was lacking uh, uh, in some areas, but I can truly say in my heart that I have loved you since the day you were born up till today. We all need someone to love us, and I think that's the key. Yeah, I think if any child has that from their dad, that's probably a good situation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, maybe the third point is um, and now you know that my retirement is around the corner. Uh, My wishes are to spend more time with family uh, readjusting and rebuilding. There's some things that were missing, some things that were inadequate. 
some things that were untold or some things that were told um, that need uh, rectifying. And so um, I want to do that. If I could maybe, I think that's great. I'm all on board. And I'm thinking of the dad who's listening um, kind of like uh, the third point might be something like there's always time to fix what's been broken. At, le at least to where it's uh, workable. Mm -hmm. It's uh, functional. Yeah. Instead of dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. I love you, Isaac. I love you too. And I always will. I believe that. <laughs> When I was just a baby therapist, I worked very often with religious parents of queer and trans children. Fathers and mothers would pour into my office with deep despair, anger, and fear. Although wading through their fear-based biases and assumptions was par for the course, I often saw how much, how deeply those parents loved their queer children. But this was not always the case. There were the worst-case scenarios turned reality stories that left many queer children alone, shamed, and rejected. Father's Day can be hard. Sorry. Father's Day can be a hard day for many queer and trans folks, especially during Pride. Having Father's Day during Pride is ironic for some and painful for others. All too well, I remember the days when I was convinced that my father would throw me out of the house and throw me out of the family the second he heard I was queer. I was flooded with feelings of rejection because I believed that I would be disowned for being feminine, soft, or limp-wristed. And in the moments of pure panic, I thought suicide might be a better option than living in exile, detached from all the people who were supposed to love me. Although my father and I see the topic of sexual orientation from very different perspectives, and although we had a lot of angry moments with one another, we made it out rather successfully. I am thankful. He was willing to stick it out, battle it out, and watch me as I came out. Relational resilience isn't easy. To pop back into shape after being relationally smashed, punched, and dented takes a lot of emotional stamina swerving through all of the emotions that tag along with grief and reconciliation require a concerted intention. Grace and anger, forgiveness and depression, patience and denial, bargaining and acceptance become a bouncy journey we actively sign up for not just once, but at every fateful interaction between us and at every emotional intersection within us. Relational resilience is more of a choice to stay in the fight than it is a natural talent, trust me. Relational resilience, in my experience, requires a focus on the end goal. My goal wasn't to win an argument, it wasn't to have my dad proudly waving a rainbow flag in a pride parade, it wasn't to change his theological or academic perspectives. My goal was to allow our attachment to supersede our disagreement. My goal was to find that particular relational dynamic where love wins, 
because we cherish one another more than we need to be right. The hidden aspect of this goal, however, is that we are rendered powerless because it literally takes two. And although you might be fully willing and emotionally equipped to go the distance with your father, you have no choice in his emotional decisions. And this is where relational resilience might point you in the direction of serious grief and loss at first, with the hope of creating a chosen family down the road. During a season when I felt very detached from my dad, I described my dad as a dead tree to my therapist. Tied to this tree with a rope of hope, I stood there throwing fresh flowers into the branches of the dry tree to make it seem alive and to show the tree how much I was desperate for its shade. With rage filling my body, I told my therapist that my gestures weren't working and that I was starting to feel silly for tying myself to a situation, a relationship out of hope. I felt so silly for staying and begging for so long. And as I cut the rope of hope and walked away, I first noticed that I was in a supple orchard with plenty of shade under which I could rest and be nurtured. And I also realized that the energy had shifted. My father was no longer experiencing me as angry, resentful, and despondent, but as healed and peaceful. Grieving our relationship was a major component that actually allowed it to come alive. As one of my mentors often says, death before life. All this to say, I hope you find the courage to do what is right. It may mean leaving so you can finally be safe and free, or it may mean watching things crumble so they can be rebuilt. Here at Queer Relationships, we have made it our goal to help you gain insights, hear stories, find tools, and connect with others who are interested in creating the love lives and relationships you truly crave. And in order to summit those relational peaks that make it all possible, I can't think of anything more necessary than relational resilience. Whether you continue to finesse, nurture, and improve the relationship you have with your father, or if you find solace in the arms of chosen family. I hope this pride brings you the resolve to be resilient. And to today's guest, my dad, thank you for cherishing me. Thank you for loving me even when it meant grappling with worry, doubt, insecurity, anger, and pain. Thank you for finding that sweet spot where my inherent value is the most important aspect of all. I love you, Dad. Happy Pride. Happy Father's Day. Until next time. Mwah. Queer Relationships is a podcast sponsored by I Am Clinic, a counseling practice devoted to the LGBTQ plus community with in-person and virtual counseling options available. I Am Clinic. Create the love lives and relationships you crave. Find us online on Instagram at LGBTQ underscore therapy and Facebook at I Am Clinic. That's I-A-M Clinic.